Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's April 25th, 1844, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie. The Retrospectors. When you think of screaming believers or directioners or whoever the kids are into now, you might fairly assume that that kind of frenzied fandom has its roots in Elvis's pelvis or Beatlemania. But no. Over a hundred years earlier, there was another musician shaking his stuff on stage, Hungarian piano virtuoso Franz Liszt, who had such a profound effect upon his audiences that today in history, in 1844, German poet and critic Heinrich Heine pathologised it when he coined the term Listomania. And the funny thing about it is that it's so quintessential to the experience that we know about of people going mad for their musician of choice. It really was people tearing at his clothes and fighting over broken piano (laughs) strings and like cutting off locks of his shoulder length hair. He was apparently a bit of a hottie, so that uh, sort of fits with all of this. But yeah, it was like, you know, Listomania really was this thing that we'd totally recognise today. Yeah, and part of that was he basically single-handedly invented the modern concert. You know, even the way that he would set up his piano, he would turn it to the side, the way we would imagine a piano player playing now. But he was the person who first did that. You know, it was traditional for musicians to kind of be a Aloof. It was considered a little bit undignified to even acknowledge that there was a crowd there. But Liszt wasn't <laughs> like that at all. He would talk to the crowd. He would perform without sheet music. And he wasn't the first person to memorise music. But it was considered a little bit gauche to not have your music displayed because it was thought that it would come off as if you were saying that you had either written the music or that you were somehow just inventing it on the spot. And so showing the music was a sign of actually acknowledging the composer. But Liszt didn't do that because it was all part of the performance. He was a virtuoso. He didn't need the music. He was in the moment. Yeah, and he hadn't written all the music, so it was disrespectful. (laughs) (laughs) There was one fantastic uh, story from an eyewitness who recalled that on one occasion, uh, they said, a woman snatched up a half-smoked cigar that Liszt had cast aside, and in spite of repeatedly retching, she continued to smoke it with feigned delight. (laughs) Like this sort of busted old butt. She was like, that's so nice, I love you. The other thing he did as well was create this sort of parasocial relationship with his fan base where they really feel like they knew him as a person. So not only did he acknowledge and engage with the audience in a way that hadn't really been done before during his concert, which he was he called them recitals. And apparently he was the first person to use the word recital in a musical context. It was quite uncommon to play one instrument without a singer or other instruments yeah, accompanying. Exactly. You. Like you at mm. least expect a quartet. Right. Usually you went to see an orchestra. It was just him and a piano. 
Yeah, and so recitals right. only been used in terms of dramatic recitals, you know, recitals from plays, etc. But so he, not only did he do that, but he was also kind of at the centre of this publicity machine. He was really good at promoting himself and portraying himself in a certain way. He was a nice guy, you know, he had an ego like all great musicians, but he was well known for acts of charity. He gave a lot of benefit concerts. He cheated on his wife. He was a friend of Wagner. I mean, I can't find anything <laughs> concerning. Well, there was, listen, some things got through the publicity machine, okay? <laughs> from his 40s onwards he gave away most of his earnings so he also was good at putting out this persona where people who loved his music also felt like they knew him and they loved him and he acknowledged them as well so no wonder they were scrambling around picking up his cigar butts but it was also so much about emotion and he really you know he walked away from the performance side of his career when he was just in his mid-30s but then went on to be a really famous conductor and that too was a role that had been just kind of you know you were the metronome holding the orchestra together and he changed that again to be the person who interpreted the music in an emotional a spiritual way and put themselves into it so that this was like his revolution and it's kind of you can see the through line from his sitting down at a piano and tossing his hair around to that as well. And he's now of course respected as a composer it's almost like he had to die before people could listen to his music in the abstract and say actually it's quite good yeah it's not just flourishes. (laughs) (laughs) So there were many many stages to his career which started in Vienna. So he was from Hungary, as I said in my intro, and he went to Vienna as a precocious child. And people who had seen Mozart and Beethoven play said, oh, he's better than Mozart. He's so precocious. He's the next big thing. So he was like a child prodigy and then a kind of teen heartthrob. And then, as you say, an elder statesman and a great composer. He sort of did it all. So coming back to Heine's review, he was writing for what was called a feuilleton. And this was at a time when newspapers were only supposed to be for strictly news, you know, political news, foreign affairs. Other topics could only be addressed in what we would now call supplements. So he was writing one about the music scene as it was in 1844. And It's not clear from context, but this was an incredibly scathing review. You know, when you read parts of it in isolation, you know, he says, Liszt played quite alone or rather accompanied solely by his genius. How boisterous was the applause which rang to meet him? You know, all of those things out of context sound like he's praising it. But actually, if you read the wide review, it's really, really sarcastic. And what he's actually trying to say is that Listomania, you know, Beatlemania had not been coined, as we know, and mania had real medical associations. What he was actually saying was he's having this weird convulsive effect and he sort of says is it because of magnetism is it because of electricity you know he's saying it's not because of his genius it's because of this hysteria and obviously that term as well being loaded he's saying these female fans in particular are having this reaction to him that's completely removed from serious appreciators of music you say that he's being sarcastic but do you think he's being satiric because i can't work out whether he really means that there is a medical prognosis you know, he, he says, a true madness unheard of in the annals of furore. But what is the basis of this phenomenon? Perhaps the solution to this question belongs more in pathology than aesthetics. And I can't tell whether he's just dismissing these women as mad as a way of saying this is ridiculous or whether he really does mean, because this is what it came to mean, isn't it? There might be a genuine viral medical concern that List is emanating when he comes to a venue. Well, I think he kind of answers at the end where he says um, all this sorcery may be explained by the fact that no one on earth knows so well how to organise his successes or rather their mise-en-scene as our Franz Liszt. And elsewhere, you know, he accuses Liszt of using plants in the audience to throw spontaneous bouquets Mm. at him and... 
one bit there's just such a weird low blow that feels like it could be written in a Daily Mail column now he describes the list as thrusting a red camellia which he drew from one of the bouquets into his buttonhole and he did this in the presence of some young soldiers who had just come out of Africa where they had seen not flowers but leaden bullets rain on them (laughs) (laughs) the soldiers had gone there to see list it's hard to imagine they would be like well you know what we just had thrown at us bullets in Africa (laughs) but isn't it weird that the same exact criticism is being leveled at the showy pianists of the moment and you think of like Lang Lang who does a really good list performance himself with all of that thrusting his head around and being so deeply in the music as to be in a trance. It's it's sort of amusing that that same brand of criticism was being thrown at people by the same sorts of audiences even back then. But there was something more to it in this and it comes down to the fact that Heine was not the world's most ethical reviewer. In Mm. fact, Liszt was one of several composers he had tried to blackmail by offering to show them an advanced copy of his review and maybe in turn for some appreciation money, certain critical passages of it might be removed. So in this case, Liszt had given his first performance, the one that Heine had seen, on the 16th of April at the Italian Opera House. The second one was due to take place on the 25th, the day Heine's review would appear in print. So he sent a note to Liszt saying, I would like you, my dear, to visit me tomorrow between two and three o'clock. I have already written a first article that I would like to send off before your second concert, and there might be something in it you may, that may not please you. For this reason, it is quite appropriate that I first talk with you. And Liszt chose to ignore this extremely obvious blackmail attempt, and so Heine just let him have it with both barrels. Imagine your would-be shakedown being the thing that came to be a defining, <laughs> almost positive <laughs> about the guy that you were trying to <laughs> criticise. Yeah, I mean, I think the part that Heine would have preferred become the remembered portion was when he says the day-long reputation of a virtuoso evaporates and dies away without a trace like a camel's wind in the desert but it really i mean list's <laughs> tour of germany was probably the thing that when all was said and done and he'd gone around the whole continent resonated the longest out of everywhere which is interesting because i mean whether it's being said for satire or not germany in particular does have this thing um for i mean you remember we discussed uh, dance mania in our episode the town that danced to death There was, in the medieval times, uh, the St Vitus dance in Germany, Mm. which was this kind of mass hysteria of dancing caused by who knows what. And so there Mm. is this thing, like, I think for people in Berlin, when Liszt came, of feeling a bit like, this is a bit dangerous what he's unleashing in us. Yeah, and Heiner's review kind of addresses that. He says that he has heard of this phenomenon occurring in Berlin, but he had dismissed it because he knew that his fellow Germans are well known for being, you know, buttoned down in day-to-day life, but prone to these romantic outbursts over the arts, especially music. He saw that as a response to the political oppression that was going on in Germany at the time. He wasn't alone in this assessment either. Southern German newspapers had actually been very scathing of Listomania. They thought that their northern neighbours were just hysterical because they had weak constitutions. They weren't strong and hardy like Bavarians, and so they thought you know, this is really a northern German thing. And then Liz came to their town and they were like, oh, look at his hair. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Tomorrow. You shoot someone dead in broad daylight. There's going to be no uncertainty about who has done that particular crime. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.